I'm Greg Crow, and you're listening to episode 42 of Audio Off the Shelf, the podcast where I play a handful of tracks from my physical collection. Everything I play on this show comes off the vinyl shelves in my living room, off the CD shelves in my basement, or out of that box of cassettes I keep on the shelf in the storage room. If you're listening to this episode at the time of release, I want to wish you a very happy new year. I sincerely hope your 2022 is good to you. As the new year turns, I'm reminded of the time I recorded my first episode in the early days of 2021. So before I get into today's episode, I would like to take a moment to invite listeners to check out my one-year anniversary special that will be coming out in two weeks' time. I hope you'll join me for that. Now then, today I welcome a very special guest to the show. You know, every city seems to have a major local scenester, someone who is so dedicated to the independent music scene, but is not necessarily connected to a band or is a musician. In my opinion, they are the lifeblood of local independent music. They are the ones who are putting up the posters, booking the venues, buying the music and playing it on college radio stations, organizing gigs, feeding touring bands and letting them sleep on their floors, and they're also promoting the underground. Once done in independent zines, and now done online via blogs, vlogs, and other digital media. In Winnipeg, we had Johnny Sizzle. In Victoria, there was Dane, Ramon Vitesse in Montreal, and in Sudbury, Ontario, there was my good friend and today's guest, Skip Vitala. Skip was a beacon of hope for so many touring bands as they charted their way across Canada, and he helped them fill in the tour schedule as they passed from Winnipeg to Toronto. We sat down a few weeks ago to reminisce about the love and lessons that music gives us. We talked about his history of welcoming bands into Sudbury. We talked about his self-published zine, The Hills Are Alive, and his long-running radio show, Ska Party. We chatted about his run-ins with legendary band The Specials and ska godfather Prince Buster. We also discussed the history of the all Canadian Club compilation releases, of which there were five. We mainly focused our discussion on Volume 4, as Skip was largely responsible for its concept, production, and development. So without any further ado, I give you my chat with Skip Vitala. Skip, welcome to Audio Off the Shelf. I'm so glad you decided to give me a little bit of your time. I'm very thankful for that. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be a part of the show. I've been a fan since day one. So, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a good day for me. I'm like happy. I'm happy to be here. I don't get asked to be on many podcasts. So it's, it's, well, you should. I'm, usually, I'm usually the one doing the podcasting. <laughs> exactly. So. Well, uh, you're, uh, your name came up in my head many times. I thought I got to get Skip on as a guest because that guy has got some stories, I'm sure. Uh, but before we get too far into it, can you give listeners a Reader's Digest of your bio? Of my bio? Yeah, who are my you? My radio bio? My music bio? Uh, I started out in... Uh, I started out playing drums in high school and punk bands. And... Uh, sort of in college started to expand upon that and playing uh, drums just with different styles of bands. Um, that continued on into my early thirties. There's basically two trains of thoughts. There's the DJing side of skip and then there's the musician side of skip. Uh, you know, I started DJing also in high school at uh, my local community radio station. And uh was immediately enthralled with the sense of uh, family that was there and uh, being surrounded with people with the same musical interests, the same uh, philosophies, the same sort of, uh, you know, we all liked Billy Bragg, you know, for instance, it, it, those kinds of philosophies. And we could, you know, it's good to be around the same people that uh, you could have good conversations with. Uh so like there's the DJing side and the musician side. Uh, when I was in my early thirties, I was on a bowling team. Uh, we were a bunch of drummers and every week we'd get together and bowl and talk about our miscellaneous bands. And one week I showed up, I had been kicked out of my band 
And one of the other drummers was like, Skip, you should really pick a bass. I think you'd be good at it. I was like, what are you talking about, man? And I really had never connected the dots between bass being such a percussive instrument because I'd always strummed the guitar in a very percussive way, sort of like a Joe Strummer kind of way. And uh, I just, he lent me a bass for the summer and uh, I decided to go all in on that instrument, deciding that I could, I really liked it. I started jamming with as many people as I could. I started taking lessons and I started going and uh, playing music as much as I could. It doesn't matter what style, you know, there were some bad classic rock moments right off the start. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I need the experience. I'm like, whatever, I'll play Van Halen. I don't care. Uh, you know, but uh, it's been an amazing ride since then. I thought as a drummer uh, that music, music life was pretty busy. And then as soon as people caught whiff that I could do the bass, it got uh, like multiple times busier. And uh, I've just been so glad and so happy to have had the experiences that I've had up to this point. Um, and every, like, yeah, I, I, I think about the shows that I've got coming up ahead and I'm just like, wow, this will be fun and this will be unique. And like, even with COVID it's been um, the, the experiences playing live music have been sort of flipped on their head but it's also fun at the same time you're like wow i didn't think i would ever be playing to a bunch of people sitting down you know or mm. being socially distanced or awkward like there's been awkward moments but they're fun too so it's like yeah but like uh so much happiness and joy just from playing an instrument and i've just i've always there were some early lessons I learned on with the bass, whereas drumming was always uh, a hobby. I was okay at drumming and no one else really wanted to drum. So I was like, okay, I could keep a beat. I could do, you know, the, what was, I could always play what was ever required of me. Uh, but I picked up the bass and it became not a hobby, but a passion. And uh, that's, and I try when uh, I play live to just uh, show that to people that I'm, I'm, I, I like being passionate and I, I, I value the fact that people have come out uh, to have a good time. And I, if you're just sitting up there, not having a good time, how can you expect them to be having a good time? Mm -hmm. I, uh, and you know, sometimes that's gotten me into a pickle with other bandmates, but I'm like, screw it. I'm it's about the fans. Like it's about the people who show up. Like, uh, there's numerous road stories and gig stories where it's like, Skip, I think you were a little too energetic. I'd be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's never, other than what I've just said, it's, it's never my, when I play live, it's not something that I've, uh, given too much pre-thought to. I'm just like in the moment. You know, if I'm going to do a backflip off of the kick drum, uh, you know, it's because I want to in that moment because I feel it, you know, or if I'm going to do a flying leg kick leap into the crowd, it's because I want to in that moment. Like I'm not planning on, I didn't go on the stage thinking, yeah, now's a good time to, I want to do that at some point. No. Mm -hmm. Or if no. I start playing the bass behind my head, I'm living <laughs> in the moment. I'm like, I'm <laughs> of course. Now, listeners may hear this and think that, uh, listeners who know me, I should say, would think that our paths must have crossed because I played in bands and you've played in bands, but that's not really the case with you and I. No. So and I was thinking, I was thinking about this interview today because I was like, my dream would be to play with you and King Kong Jirio and myself and just have a little quiet little trio going and be, that would be a great night. That would be a perfect night out for me. I'd be like, that would be fun. That would be fun. So how do we know each other in, in your eyes? What, what would you say to uh, the listeners who say like, how, how do Skip and Greg know each other? <laughs> <laughs> because you were like, I knew you as a, a dude from Sudbury. I'm a yep. guy from Winnipeg. And how do our paths cross? One of the hats I wore at the community radio station, uh, I was music director for a while and I was dealing with a lot of bands and a lot of labels and a lot of genres. And I, I had ska. I would. I had been a ska fan already, but just dealing with uh, 
the ska management and ska labels and ska musicians, they were by far, Greg, the most honest, down-to-earth, happiest people to deal with. There was never any drama. And I was just like, man, I just need to support these people who do ska music as much as possible. And so I started doing a ska radio show in Sudbury. I started doing a zine, you know, uh, which I think you, you, I, I, I'm, I have a feeling you still have clipped out my pancake recipe from that scene. <laughs> That's right. Because uh, it, it, it's a delicious recipe, and I have not, other than putting it in my zine, I've never uh, replicated it in public. So, um, and anyway, I as so this I started doing live shows in Sudbury. Uh, Josh from the band Smokers and I basically decided to like let's start promoting uh, ska music as much as possible. Uh, the Smokers were a good ska Sudbury band. I started managing them. You guys were on tour, needed a show in Sudbury. I, I guess you reached out to me saying, hey, can you help us out? Uh, before Because we need something between Thunder Bay and Toronto or Thunder Bay and uh, Montreal, Ottawa, which was the case usually. Uh, bands touring across Canada would look at Sudbury as a place to bridge the gap between getting to the other major centers. And uh, yeah, you ended up playing uh, one of my Scott party shows at the Knights of Columbus Hall in Sudbury. Uh, and uh, from then on, we've just been friends. Yeah. Yeah. You see, in my mind, you are one of the most important people that we had at that time on a national level, like there were bands that would help each other out, but it's folks like you who were truly passionate about the music to the point where you were, you had your fingers in a lot of pies. Like you had this radio show and you were doing a zine and you were distributing that zine nationally. Like I received copies of it in the mail and you were working really hard and, you know, bands will do that and not, Sometimes not overly altruistically, they will be doing it to, to, you know, aid other bands, but to help their cause as well. But you were just so pure in, in those moments where you really wanted to give back. And uh, I think a lot of bands owe you a lot of thanks and a lot of gratitude. I know I do, uh, because it's folks like you who help to make tours possible that help you know, in, encourage people to go out and look for the music and buy them, buy the music. So that was really valuable. And your ska radio show, ska party has been, uh, just an institution like, how long have you been doing that show? Yeah. I don't want to say since 95 with a few, uh, a few breaks, but yeah, it's, it's basically since been 95. That's a long time. That's a long time. It feels just like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it, wait, can people, like, is there an archive somewhere? Can people find that online? Uh, there's an archive on Mixcloud. Um, I think the handle is mixcloud.com. Uh, skip the DJ. I haven't been there in a while. Okay. But if folks want to check radio it out, show, they can go there. Yeah. Because the radio show currently is actually on a hiatus because I've just moved. So I was like, I can't do everything. So I had to like sort of press pause on something. So that was the radio show, but the radio show will be picking up again, actually probably as of next week. So actually probably the week that this is being broadcast. So, okay, well, that's, that's good. That's um, good. Timing. And actually it's funny. Uh, this sort of ties into your sentiment, but it's backed by popular demand. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> There was one time we came through Sudbury, a uh, whole lot of Milka did. When I say we, I mean whole lot of Milka. There was a time yeah. when whole lot of Milka came through Sudbury and you had us uh, on your radio show. I still have uh, the audio from that. And I'm going to play. Yeah, I, I do. And here's, here's a clip of it. Uh, I think this might be uh, our drummer, Willie, talking about your, your famous pancake recipe. Ooh. All right, that was the Planet Smashers there, and take it from the top from their album, Attack of the Planet Smashers, and kicking off today's edition of Ska Party was a tune by Whole Lotta Milka, Ballad of Jeff Edwards, and oddly enough, Whole Lotta Milka's in the studio with us today. Speak, guys. Hello. Hello. 
Oh, that was great. Can I hit the table now? No, don't hit the table now. I want to thank you, Skip, for a wonderful evening and a great breakfast this morning. <laughs> it was great. I'm crying. Okay, no. So you like the pancakes? Oh, the pancakes were hot, Skip. They were great. Okay. How'd the show go last night, in your opinion? You played the townhouse last night? Yeah, yeah it was house. wicked. Show was great. It was hot. Some good, uh, good fans out there. Some good dance. What's new with Whole Lot of Milka? You guys played the uh, first ever all ska ska party, all ages all ska party there in March last time you were in town. Yeah, always. What do, What have you guys been doing since? What's uh, new? What's new with Whole Lot of Milka? We're trying to write some more new songs because we'd like to put out another CD, maybe like next summer, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's kind of new. What else is new? <laughs> We've been spending lots of time in rehab. So have you guys recorded anything yet, or is it just... Well, we recorded uh, a new tune for the All's Canadian Volume 3 that's coming out in September. Now what tune Stalin. would that be? Um, do we do another tune on that one, too? Do we? How many tunes we, did we record we that time? We taped two. Two. So, so one's coming out, and we've got one in the can. In the can means, like, all done, not in the... <laughs> Bathroom, all good. <laughs> we recorded it, mixed it, mastered it, and pitched it in the can because it sucked. <laughs> so what's uh, uh, let's uh, we'll get back to some music and we'll talk some more, eh? Are you sure you want to do that? You just might want to play music. <laughs> well, I was gonna ask you guys about the scene in Winnipeg, but you know, what scene? What scene? What scene? Is there much of a ska scene? Tell me. There's actually three major ska bands coming out of Winnipeg, and we all live on opposite sides of the cities, and when we see each other, we fire guns at each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a full-blown ska. Oh, we, oh, you know, we've, we've got our identifying colors, um, yeah. and uh, we each have our choice of armaments. Yeah, so that was a good time. If memory serves me, Skip, uh, there was another host that was supposed to come in and uh, do their show, and they didn't show up, so we just kept going. That's, and, that was common in those times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but once again that was very cool uh and that helped to promote uh the show we were doing sudbury that night which was out of all the shows that whole lot of milk had did that was one of the more memorable shows that gig in sudbury uh you had just mentioned the one at knights of columbus hall that we did with the smokers and king kong Jerios band sound system but this was a different kind of show this was uh when we came back maybe about a year later do you have any recollections of that show because <laughs> i remember it one probably, way and i would I love to hear I, what your memory of it is i don't because i wasn't putting it on so i probably just went out and had a really good time <laughs> i i don't remember all the bands that played i do remember there was a fellow by the name of stacy case who was showing oh, his yeah! ind independent case was films there making his t-shirts and yeah. he was making yeah he was doing uh like patches and t-shirts and showing his films like which was a very cool element of the show to begin with uh and then there was a band that had their first gig they were opening up for us that night and they were called zombie nightmare mm. does this uh, ring any bells a little bit i'll i'll, I'll uh. gently massage your memory here they showed up in a hearse Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I was outside and, and the, we were really excited because the place was packed. It was an all ages show, which were always super high energy. We were very excited. And I was standing outside of the venue and I might've been talking to you. I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but scads of young people just come flooding out of the venue, screaming and yelling. And they, <laughs> they looked horrified, right? I'm like, what's going on? Did you remember what happened? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this might come back to you. And during Zombie Nightmares uh, set, they, they were starting to throw candy into the audience saying, hey, these are a bunch of red candies. There's one blue one in here. If you find a blue one, you win a prize, something like this. And then for their, their next feat, they decided to throw raw hamburger meat over everybody. Oh, my God. And uh, that kind of emptied the venue. <laughs> We was this up, before your set? This is just before our set. And um, after they were done, there was about a 45-minute pause so people could come in and mop the floor. A lot of people had left, but uh, that, uh, we do remember that show. And That's if memory funny. serves me, that tour was a bit of a tough one. It was nice to get to Sudbury and think, oh, we got a good show tonight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so it goes. <laughs> I do remember uh, 
when I was part of the management team for Cost Diner in, in Toronto when you came and played. Oh, and yeah. uh, that was such a good venue that we had going in Toronto. And I was so happy to to be part of the sort of, uh, we had basically, we were just a co-op of uh, like-minded individuals who liked punk and ska. And we would just, whoever, whatever band or musician we knew was needing a Toronto show, we'd be like, no frills, just show up. Here's the corner. Here's the back wall. Just play on the back wall. You know, we'll do meager lights and sound and just have fun. And just, there was a lot of good nights at Cost Diner on college at Bathurst in Toronto. Yeah, um, I remember. I remember that gig uh, fondly because yeah, uh, King Kong Jirio like, showed up, and Lorraine yeah. was there from the Kingpins, and it was yeah. oh, it was just a lot of fun. And then Mitch came up and uh, did a song with us, a song that we had uh, co-written together, and he was like, "Yeah, let's let's practice it up a little bit before the gig." And I got audio of that somewhere. I should see if I can dig that up. Uh, but yeah, that uh, was a nice little venue. surprising that we kept it going for as long as we did because i think part of the uh the urgency of that was like at any moment the plug could be pulled and we'd mm -hmm. just be like we just got to use this to the maximum that we can 
but we still have this avenue to do it. And, and like the owners are just happy to have people come in through the door because mostly they were just a diner. That's, yeah. That was their bread and butter. And like people showing up at night were just a bonus to them. They were like, oh my God, this is like people are actually like showing up and wanting to eat something and drink. Great. <laughs> Those are always the it's best just, venues though. Always it's the not best the venues. breakfast crowd anymore, you know? So, <laughs> That's right. And I have actually, I've had that dream myself where I'm like, if I was to ever own a venue and ru- or run a venue, I would have like something that wasn't so uh, dependent upon the live music at night part and just be like, yeah, you know, we make breakfast. We make my pancakes in the morning. People come <laughs> have a coffee, you know, we pay some of the bills that way. And then it, we shut down, we have a little siesta and then we wait, you know, we open up again at like six o'clock and, uh, you know, we have all ages shows until the cows come home. So, yeah, that's a beautiful vision. I do like that. And I tell you, those are the best venues. They really, really are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much, so much stress involved with trying to keep things afloat when they're only dependent upon one revenue stream. No, you're right. You're right. So fortunately. Hey, all these great memories that we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> there's so I, many. I, I was actually curious today as to where we could go with all this because there's so many. There's so many. But uh, I was saying before, like there's bands that have memories, but then there's folks like you who promote and promote and promote and have been longtime fans of the genre. Uh, I would love to hear what are some of your most favorite ska memories? What really stands out in your, that we're talking about almost three decades of you being a fan of the genre. What are some absolute highlight moments? Uh, so the specials in the like 96, 95, they were on tour with everybody uh, but Terry. And uh, they decided to book a gig in Sudbury. And everyone was like, oh, my God, the specials are coming. <laughs> and uh, they were just playing uh, the Union Hall that was like two blocks from my house. Uh, a, a nice sized venue. And of course, Sudbury, it's a small town, small city. And of course, the size of the ska uh, fan base. I don't even think they were there on a proper night either. There was like a middle of the week night or something. It was an awkward night, but they came played to like 50 of my closest friends. And Chris Murray was their road manager (laughs) and they played their hearts out to us. And I would think like, if anyone's going to like mail it in, it doesn't need to play well or like, you know, do something, uh, at not a hundred percent because they, you know, they're, they've already been there, done that. You would think it would be the specials, but the specials came in and did that show. And I soaked up every single minute, second of that, every beat, everything. I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe the specials are here playing in my hood and where I've grown up. Like the specials were one one of the bands that got me first into ska. I remember being at a cross country road race in high school and uh, I was, there was a bunch of us runners who would show up and we would sort of do what happens online today, but we would show up at the race and be like, Oh my God, I listened to this cassette. You need to hear, I'm just going to give you this cassette. I know you'll like it. And we sort of trade music around. And then at the next running race in two weeks, we'd all show up and trade back. Uh, And uh, one guy one week was like, here's the specials cassette. I think you'd really like it. And I'm like, Oh, I already know this. And I hadn't really put together that Scott, like, was a genre like one of my best friends uh in high school was her mom was a huge reggae fan and every time i just go there and play with him uh, do games or whatnot or hang out sleep over there was always reggae playing and it was like of course there was some english beat and specials mixed in there and stuff and just i had always heard this music and i just didn't think of it as being something special i just knew i liked it and then when the guy gave me the set saying this is scott and i'm like yeah this, i know this this is you know I, it had been there since day one. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then seeing them live play at that Union Hall, uh, it all came full circle. Uh, even like a few years later, when I saw the specials in Toronto and I saw, uh, oh my God, now his name escapes me, the guitarist, Roddy. Roddy. Roddy, Roddy was just walking around 
with a security guard and no one was talking to Roddy. And I was like, that's Roddy. I'm like, Hey Roddy. I was like, started talking to him about Sudbury and he remembered it and stuff. And uh, I basically uh, got him talking to my other friends who were there, who were actually guitarists. And so they had more in common. And uh, it was just a really special moment. And that was a good show too. But I asked Roddy, like, what are you doing walking around? He's like, I don't want to sit in the change room all night. <laughs> he wants to mingle. <laughs> wow. And that's just the kind of the way that they were is like he, uh, and that's what happened in Sudbury too, was they, like, they were so uh, friendly. And that's also harkens back to as music director, what I said earlier about the ska scene, just being uh, different from all the other scenes. There was no pretentiousness. Everyone, uh, liked each other would go the extra mile. It, it was a big, it was a scene to really get behind and support. And there's no, uh, it's timeless stuff. Like when I moved to Toronto and I got to see like Laurel Aiken play, mm. uh, at a really bad pub. And you're just like, this is Laurel Aiken. He's like 70 years old <laughs> and he's given it. He's like, he's dripping in sweat and he's just belting out songs and giving everything is all. And he's just a little tiny old man. And you're just, you're just like, uh, it's like and the, all ages of people were there and they're all having a great time and admiring the show. And you're just like, you just can't, at some point you're just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is one of the reasons why you support that scene. Mm -hmm. uh, like the other big ska moment I had was seeing, uh, there's a film called the legends of ska. Yes. And, um, they did, they filmed two nights at the Palais Royale in Toronto yep. where they got together all the originators of ska before people started to pass away. Uh, sort of with that in the back of their minds, they wanted to capture the original mu musicians doing the original music. And the second night of that show was unbelievable. The bar just kept going up. You're just like, Oh, that was, that was stranger Cole. And now it's stranger and Patsy. And, and now it's, uh, you know, the, the, the night ended off with Prince Buster and <laughs> you're just like, it went like, that's, that was the scale of things. It was just an amazing night of ska music on the shores of Lake Ontario in a place that normally just hosted weddings. And you're just like, it was picturesque and the, the music was so good. And, uh, it was a one of a kind event. When the poster came out for that show, it had made its way out to the prairies here and somebody yep. sent it to me and said, uh, is is this a joke? Like the poster <laughs> with all the names on it, it, that that just couldn't possibly be happening in Canada. Uh, there's no way that that's not real. Somebody's just doing that for a graphic arts project of some sort, you know, some Scott fan. It was but real. No, it was real. Uh, yeah. I, I had a friend, um, Mike Afterbeat, the lead singer of the Afterbeat. He yeah, went, yeah. He went to the show and he told me all about it. And uh, he said, it was amazing, Greg. There were so few people from Toronto who were there that people <laughs> had come from all over North America to see this show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I remember talking all night. I remember there was a huge contingency from Boston that night that showed up. And uh, I remember talking to them for a long period of time. And uh, it was, a, yeah, it was a, a great coming together of the community. Yeah, it's Jamaican royalty. And at a time when their time is running out, to be quite honest, you know, they're not uh, young folks. So uh, what what a privilege to to be able to take in that event. The truth is, I've never even watched the film. I just have the memories of it in my mind. And well, I, guy, I'm, I'm like, I'm almost don't want to watch the film because I, I don't want to like that to taint my memories of how good that night was. The, I, I prefer seeing it through my own eyes. So, yeah, I, I get that. The fellow who made the film is from Minneapolis. Yes, he is. Yeah. And uh, my wife, my lovely wife, uh, got me for a birthday present, uh, a trip to Minneapolis. And uh, she said, I got you tickets to see Stranger and Patsy. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> what? And they were playing in yeah. Minneapolis and they showed the film before they played. Uh, it was unreal. The the um, prize fighters uh, backed them up yep. and it was uh, it was beautiful. Um, and it, it, it's it's bizarre, like because uh, Stranger and Patsy were standing 
right next to me and I couldn't say anything. I wanted to so badly. And <laughs> you were speechless. I was speechless. Uh, and my wife was saying you actually, it was almost like you were at polar opposites. Whenever they came near you, you would back up a little bit, <laughs> like you actually retreat. It's like, uh, what am I supposed to say? They're royalty. And I had this a similar experience when uh, I went to Wisconsin to see the Scatolites play. And yep. somebody who was organizing that music festival in Wisconsin said, Hey, you guys drove all the way from Canada. Do you want to meet the Scatolites? I said, hell yes, I want to meet the Scatolites. So uh, they uh, took us into the dressing room and we just stood there like fools, just looking at them and couldn't mm -hmm. say anything. You know, what are you supposed to say?
So. It's funny. So the uh, the last thing I'll say about the Legends of Ska show was it's one of the very few shows that I actually got kicked out of because at the end of the night I was hell bent on trying to get uh, an audience with Prince Buster, and the security was having none of it, and I was just like, I'm Skip, I'm the DJ, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> just, I was pushing, I was trying to go. I'm, I'm like, I can do this. I know I can meet Prince Buster, but like security was like, no, no. And I was like, come on, just let me meet, meet Prince Buster. Uh, no. Then they just wow. gave me the boot. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> thrown. I was base. I was literally thrown out the side door. I was like, oh, great. Wow. <laughs> now I'm like, now I'm on the shores of Lake Ontario, <laughs> having to stumble my way back home. <laughs> Skip, I'd like but, to change gears here for a moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I uh, want to talk a little bit about the Canadian ska scene. And one of the things that brought all these bands together from coast to coast was in 1995, if memory serves me, uh, two guys from Montreal decided that they wanted to release the first ever all Canadian ska compilation album. We got a phone call from a guy named Matt. Uh, who uh, said, we heard there that uh, you got this band, whole lot of milk in Winnipeg. Do you have any recordings? Would you like to submit something? We're doing this project. And uh, we submitted and it turned out to be uh, a huge success and really helped to launch uh, a a lot of careers for, for these bands, including whole lot of milk. It was so successful. They did a second installment and then they did a third installment. And then it, was quiet and if it was it was very quiet and there was a long period of time after uh what was called the all scanadian club then all scanadian club volume two then volume three and then this gap and if memory serves me i think it was you who picked up the torch and said i think it's time for a fourth installment and that was a huge undertaking because um, the All Canadian Club one, two, and three was really a hallmark of the Stomp record label. It really helped to launch that record label in a lot of ways. And then all the other releases that came after it uh, of the bands who were on those compilations now had full length albums on Stomp Records and uh, really uh, had set Stomp Records as a well established independent record label in Canada. Uh, But there was no fourth installment, but there were all these new bands somewhere around the year 2000 or so. And it wasn't Stomp Records, as I recall, who said, let's do volume four. It was you. Do I have my facts straight on that? (laughs) Uh, You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I was. uh, Matt and I had become Matt Smasher and I had become close friends and we were uh, in, uh, you know, chatting periodically. the smokers from Sudbury were trying to get on stomp and uh, we were told we were next in line after the JFK album. Uh, but uh, that never, the smokers ended up breaking up before the album came out and, and we ended up putting it out ourselves anyway, because there was just such a backlog, but, um, and I had also brought the planet smashers uh, to do nights at Columbus hall, much like a whole lot of milk it did. Um, but that turn of the century mark, I was, there was, I was doing the radio show and the zine and stuff. And I, I, there was so much good ska happening and uh, there was no compilation coming out. Everything was quiet, just like you said. And uh, long story short, I just ended up approaching Matt saying, uh, I want to do this. Is this okay? You know, what, what do you need to do and what are the parameters for me to do it? You know? And basically he was hands off. He was just like, put it together, you know, come back to us with the mastered CD and uh, we'll put together some artwork. And, uh, you know, I added a blurb to the liner notes and uh, it was put out there. And uh, it's funny. I I look back and I think, well, probably everyone was really busy. Like uh, everyone was out there busy being on the road or recording their own albums. So there was no time for a compilation to be put together. And I was sitting doing my radio show going, there's all these great Scott there that if there was a compilation out, I think the greater uh, fan base could be introduced to a lot more great bands out there. And even just doing the compilation, even knowing what I already knew, I've never assumed that I know everything. There's always another new ska band, another, 
And I just like doing the compilation. I'm like, where like I never knew King Conqueror existed in Halifax before I did the compilation. Uh, you know, I think of like even some of the Winnipeg ska bands that were on the compilation. I'm like, I hadn't heard of until the compilation came about. Uh, it's I, I really like that compilation. I think it really is a testament to how strong the scene was at that point and how diverse it was. Cause it was like, not only just like traditional ska vibes, but there was like pop and punk and some people getting really jazzy and uh, yeah, it just needed to be heard. And everyone was super cooperative. Uh, Mitch Girio helped master it all. I had a small group of uh, ska fans that I relied upon. Uh, for the track listing, I sort of, it was a, it was a vote. We put it to a vote. I said, here, here's 50 submissions and whatever everyone, I tallied the votes, like, cause we had a list of like, this is the maximum amount that will fit on a CD, 16 bands. So give me your top 16. Right. So, and then when you amalgamated the five contributors that I had, uh, th those were the tracks that made the CD. And I think I only, uh, we had, after all the bands were chosen, there was enough space for one extra band. And so I had final say on what that band was. Uh, but that was about it. Do you and remember what band that was? Can you say? That was 10, that was 10 too many. Was it really? Wow. Yeah, they were, they were on, they weren't going to be on the CD. And I was like, they were the one, they were, there was like three or four selections that were on the fence that had like the same amount of votes. And I was just, I just liked that song. Yeah, I was like, that eh, was a good song, and I hadn't really heard of them before, and I thought this is a band that needs to be heard on the national stage. And the funny thing about that compilation too is that the Flatliners were on that, mm -hmm. and they ended up being introduced to Stomp Records via that compilation, and went on to be uh, the huge success that they are, and they made uh, a, they sold a lot of records from that point on, and some of those being with Stomp and. Uh, I like to think that, you know, somehow uh, the fact that that compilation was made, that connection was made, and it sort of went from there. So, yeah. Now, when you would put this together, was this intended to be a release independent from Stomp Records, or did you have a partnership right from the get go? Oh, right from the get go. I wanted to do an All Canadian. So, and I would like to do an All Canadian six right now. <laughs> yeah, because there there is an all all Canadian five uh, that came out. Um, that that one seemed a little bit quiet. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a great I, compilation, but uh, just a little bit didn't have the noise that one, two, three, and four did. Yeah, and I don't know in this digital age if it's worth doing a compilation, but uh, like you know what the deal was. The deal was you contributed a song, and then I just gave you. Uh, X number of CDs, and if you sold them, that was your payment for putting your track on the song. Like, right. So, uh, everyone had the same deal, and it was great to put on the all Canadian release shows in Toronto and Montreal. And uh, I remember doing the all Canadian. I remember when the Smokers played the all Canadian three comp uh, compilation release party in Montreal at the Rialto. And it was something I had never seen in Canada coming from Sudbury, coming to Montreal and being like, there's actually a lot of people who really like ska. Yeah. And like the, the, the venue was packed. It was no, by no means a small venue. And, uh, you know, we fast, I fast forward to like, uh, the year before the pandemic, I brought my son, uh, to see a smasher show in Toronto or in Montreal. Uh, cause he was, only at that point in time, he was only eligible to drink in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if we're going to go out to a, a concert together, it's going to be ska and it's going to be plant smashers. And he blew his mind away that night. He just couldn't believe what he was seeing. And it's that it reminded me of that night at the Rialto for the All Canadian Three. Mm. Hey, do you got a favorite track off of All Canadian Four? It was your baby. Do you got a favorite track that you would, uh, like me to play on this show? Whew. Yeah, Chocolate Factory, I would say would be my favorite. Spinecracker ruled. 
they were a great band and uh sadly they never played enough shows they just never did they, they were like one of those bands that just uh it was always a big deal when spine cracker would play a show mm-hmm. and uh i know when they put out their album uh it was a lot of hard work and it took forever and they were very particular about every little single nuance of every bit of every song so i i know a lot of hard work went into chocolate factory and uh it's catchy as all hell all right so why don't we play a couple tracks here we'll play uh a chocolate factory by spinecracker and then let's listen to love song by 10 too many uh who you had mentioned the the band that you got the last say the yeah. last say on in this compilation. So we'll listen again. Much to the chagrin of a couple of the other voters. They were like, really? I was like, I, I wore that. I was like, yep. <laughs> well, uh, Winnipeg Scott, thanks you for that. So uh, again, we'll listen to Chocolate Factory by Spinecracker, followed by Love Song by 10 Too Many.
I wasn't going to mention the wedge wedge. No. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but hey, Skip, yeah. I want to be uh, respectful of your time here. You've given me so much of it. But before I let you go, uh, if folks want to find out more about you um, and your band, Frankie Foo, or other projects that you've done, uh, where can they find you? Uh, the hills are alive.ca is the website. Uh, that's, I think has a link to my Instagram and my, uh, I think my Twitter. Yeah. I was posting a lot from the radio show there and I will be doing that again very shortly, but I think I tore it all down. And I think there's just a post up right now of, of why I love running. Uh, so that was my summer. My summer 2021 was rediscovering my love of, of, of running. So oh. I made a post about it. So very nice. You and me both, man. You and me both. Uh, yeah, no, I'm happily involved in music still. I'm, I, uh, look forward to what's next. Uh, these COVID times are proving to be interesting. Uh, my punk band is supposed to have a show in January, but part of me is like, is it going to happen? So, <laughs> uh, but Sounds like it's going to happen. I don't know. And like uh, this week, I'm DJing at the Montreal Ska Fest. I'm the resident DJ for three nights. Nice. And uh, I look forward to that. But up until like uh, November 2nd, I wasn't going to do this because they weren't going to allow for people to stand up or dance or anything. And all of a sudden, the province announced that on November 15th, there would be changes to the rules and people could get up and people could dance and uh, social distancing wasn't so much a factor anymore. So all of a sudden I got the, the call to do the DJing again. So I was like, okay, great. I'm in. And I've been honored and so glad to DJ. I think it, I've done like seven editions of uh, Montreal Ska Fest. Yeah. Something like that. So. And what's the first track you're going to play? What's coming off your shelf? And uh, going live at the Montreal Ska Festival, what's the first thing you're going to play? Ooh, I usually pick a Clash song because I'm a huge Clash fan, and I usually find uh, uh, their music is like good to find set a level to. And usually, no one has any problems with Ska uh, with the Clash. So uh, it depends on my vibe, <laughs> what I feel like playing. <laughs> <laughs> But one more time, probably I'll play one more time. That's usually a good one. Perfect. So we'll we'll play one more time to close the show here today. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, Skip. Uh, really appreciate you have, having you on. It's, it's so great to see you, man. <laughs> it's likewise. Uh, it's been too long. And hopefully it's uh, sooner rather than later for the next one. Indeed. Right. Hey! Oh, just like that.
Audio Off the Shelf was recorded and produced on Treaty One land, home of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. The Audio Off the Shelf logo was created by Benjamin Crow, based on the original iconic artwork by Donna Parsons. Thank you so much for listening. Let's go to the bathroom. I'll show you my hair. <laughs>